This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. All right. Good morning. Good to see all of you. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Oscar. Actually, I requested that song. That's an old, old song, but I believe it's very meaningful and appropriate for the times we live in. Uh, If you need a Bible, I ask you to get your hand up and our ushers will get you one and uh, this is going to be one of those series. Not that the Word of God's not always important, but this time it's really, really important that you get the Bible in your hand and you see the Word of God here. Once you get a Bible, go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And I have to keep reminding myself, I'm going to be on this for a number of weeks, so you'll begin to see some of those scriptures we'll use will be repeated over and over. For your own personal study, though, I, I uh, recommend you look in the book of Joel chapter 2 and 3. Ezekiel 38, 39, um, Daniel chapter 9 is a good chapter, Zechariah chapter 12 is a good chapter, and then the longest times that Jesus talked about the end times is in Matthew 24 and 25. And so understand today that 30% of the, the entire Bible is prophecy. And the Bible lets us know um, things that will be occurring on the second coming of Jesus. Now, you've got to always remember this, that when you talk about end times, it will always be centered around the nation of Israel, okay? Israel's always the point of contact there, and so just always remember that. And, and in Genesis 12, the Lord said to Abraham, he said, I'll bless those who bless you, and I'll curse those who curse you. And the Bible's very clear in these last days that all nations will begin to rise against Israel. And so even America right now has disowned them. I didn't say the Christians have disowned them. I said our nation has disowned them. And when we signed the treaty with Iran not long ago, it was basically saying we prefer Iran over you. And so these are some things that had to begin to take place and they're here. Now, again, part of this is to bring great comfort to us, okay? So we start in 1 Thessalonians 4. The subtitle in my Bible above verse 13 says, The Comfort of Christ's Coming. So there should be some comfort that's going to happen. So we'll see what happens here. Verse 13, But I do not want you ignorant or uninformed, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, those who have died, Okay? Least you sorrow as others who have no hope. One translation says they have no hope beyond the grave. But as Christians, death isn't the end of the story, okay? We have a place called eternity here. And so right here, Jesus says, I I don't want you to be ignorant concerning these things. Verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him Those who sleep in Jesus. Those who are are dead in Jesus. Now, it's interesting that phrase right there. Because he didn't say Jesus will bring back all those that are dead. It specifically said, I'll bring back those who sleep in Christ. So he's talking about those ones that are born again. Verse 15. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord. Now, it's very important that I live by the word of God, okay? We say this by the word of the Lord. That we who are alive and remain here on earth until the coming of the Lord 
will no, by no means precede those who are asleep. Now, he's talking about the resurrection. And so what's going to happen is the ones that are dead in Christ, they will proceed before me and you if I'm still alive here on this earth. Verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. Now, I want you to get this right here because the second coming of Jesus will be marked with a shout and a trumpet unlike anything we've ever heard. That will mark this. And when this takes place, all the world will get the attention of that shout and that trumpet. He ends in verse 16 and says, And the dead in Christ will rise first. Now, this ought to bring us great joy that if you have loved ones, parents, siblings, children that have died and you know they were born again, understand, this day they will rise first. How will that look, Pastor? Well, I I can't explain it all, but I can tell you this, that it's happened before. Two men in the Bible, Enoch and Elijah both, just, and they were out of here. Even the Lord Jesus in Acts 1 verse 9, the same thing happened to him. So we keep reading in here, and it says, And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain here on earth shall be caught up. The word caught up there suggests the exercise of a sudden force. We shall be caught up together with them. Who's the them? Those ones who are dead in Christ. So again, what's going to happen is we who are remain, all of a sudden the dead in Christ are going to start rising and going to be caught up. And guess what? We're going to go with them. This is to bring me a new comfort. He goes on to say, We'll go up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall be always with the Lord for eternity. Now, to to give you a little hope here, remember when Jesus was on the cross and one of the sinners said to him, Lord, you know, I, I, I repent of what I've done. I've asked you to be Lord of my life. And Jesus said to him, he said, from this day forward, you'll be with me in paradise. When we go to eternity, guys, it's going to be paradise. You know what? There'll be no more crime. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more death. It will be a perfect place. And he ends in verse 18 and says, Therefore, comfort one another with these words. On five different occasions in 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, he says this, comfort one another. Encourage one another. Just a little while longer and I'll see you. Just a little while longer and we'll be together. And so we're to comfort each other. Now, the Bible becomes very clear What the world will be like and look like in the second coming of Jesus. Turn a couple pages to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians 2. And and it'll tell me right here. It gives me insight of how the things of this earth will be when Jesus recomes. We we look now at 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 1. Now, brethren, believers, born-again Christians... Concerning or clarifying the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken or alarmed in mind or trouble, either by spirit or word or by letter, as is from us, as though the day of Christ had come. 
Now, what the Apostle Paul's doing right here is he's saying that there was word circulating around that he had already come, but he hadn't come back his second time. And so right here, Paul is saying, listen to believers. He said, no worries, guys. He hasn't come back yet, and he won't return until. Until what? Keep reading, verse 3. Let no one deceive you or fool you by any means. Now, I haven't marked this, but I encourage you throughout this morning, just mark how many times that we are warned through the Scriptures, let no one deceive you or fool you. So he goes on to say, by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And so he says, the first thing before my coming back that will have to take place, there will be a great falling away. Now, when I read it in the Amplified, it really became clear. Listen to what the Amplified says. The falling away will be those who have professed to be Christians. So on the second coming of Jesus, understand this, that before he comes you will begin to see Christians in large numbers beginning to, to take off and lead away or fall away from the things of God. The falling away right here, guys, will be massive rebellion against God, against authority, and against the Word of God. So what do I do? I, I live ready. I live to the best of my ability before God, day by day by day by day. And I will tell you this, I'm not perfect, but I don't willfully practice sin. Now you've got to ask yourself that question. I realize none of us in this room are perfect. Romans 3.23 says, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But do I willfully practice sin? And some people would say, well, give me a definition of sin. If I want a true definition of sin, I have to look at what the B-I-B-L-E declares as sin. And when the Bible says this is sin, then that's the guidelines I must live by, whether I like it or not. So he tells me here there's going to be a great falling away. And people won't believe the word of God. They'll believe something, but it will not be the word of God. So he goes on to say here in verse 3, For that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed the son of perdition, the son of destruction. Literally, he's saying that there'll be a falling away first, and then the Antichrist will be revealed. Now, I will tell you this, I don't spend my time trying to identify who the Antichrist is, okay? I can't stop what's going to happen in time. Actually, there's a lot of candidates right now that could probably fit who that is. I will tell you this, that the Antichrist will be anti-God, he'll be anti-Jesus, he'll be anti-Holy Spirit, he'll be anti-Word, and he will be anti-Israel. But again, I'm not going to worry about who he is. I must live against anything that tries to threaten my faith in the Lord Jesus. Verse 4. The Antichrist who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God showing or proclaiming himself 
that he is God. Now, I'm going to stop right there in 2 Thessalonians. You can mark that because I'm going to try to get back to it before the morning's over. But when we talk about the, the falling away that will take place, there's two areas that we will begin to see the world fall away and the church fall away. When I talk about the world falling away, you begin to see it falls away from truth. In 1962, our government banned prayer from the public school. Now, I was alive in 1962, but I wasn't in school yet. If you were in school back in those times and you remember praying before your, your school day started, come on, raise your hand. Is there anyone here? See, there's some of us in here that can verify that they remember that. So in 62, our government started this thing called separation of church and say, we got to get God out. We're not going to pray no more. Then in 1980, it took another hit. We said, let's remove the Ten Commandments from our public schools. Now, I do remember this, that as a child growing up, that on bulletin boards, I would see the Ten Commandments. In many of the public schools, there would be plaques. There would be certain things that would reveal the Ten Commandments. And so in 1980, when, when they removed the Ten Commandments, it was literally a removal of biblical morals. So now the world is picking up steam that when you eliminate prayer and you eliminate the Ten Commandments, then what do we have to live by? What guidelines do we have? We have none. Then in 2014... There were people within our military that were court-martialed for biblical expressions. Also, beginning in the early 2000s, people were beginning to able to file suits against ones calling the Bible hate speech. And it began to stick. So you begin to see the progression of the falling away of the world. And also a couple areas too that I'll highlight. One is in the area of movies. Now, we can go way back into movies. We can go back to cartoons that were pretty wholesome. I mean, Popeye was a pretty wholesome dude. But when you begin to look at cartoons today, there's a slant on them that aren't good. They're trying to target children. But you think about the, the, the different sitcoms and things. I remember as a boy growing up and watching Leave it to Beaver. I mean, it was huge if Mr. Cleaver ever kissed the wife. Look how that has advanced. Where now you can flip on the TV and you can see complete nudity about any time you want. Think of the area of music. I remember the first time ever listening, this will date me, listening to an 8-track. Some of you guys said, what is an 8-track? Well, you don't want to know. They were bad. And hearing a musician or a singer use curse words in a song. Now, you think about it today. How many sexual content or lyrics are within the songs that we listen to? And so you begin to see how the, the world begin to fall away. But also, the church has begun to fall away from the truth. Turn just a couple pages to your right to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Just to your right, you'll go through 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4. 
And this describes the church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ right now today, I believe. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. I charge you now, or I urge you now, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Who did it say will judge the living and the dead? Jesus is going to be the judge. Okay, Verse 2. Preach the word. Proclaim the word. Now this is where we're beginning to see the church divided. And he says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, whether it's convenient or inconvenient, whether it's welcome or unwelcome. Preach the word. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. For the time will come when they, when they, you know who the they are? Christians will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, according to their own lusts, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teacher who will foster their errors they hold. So literally what you'll begin to see is you'll begin to see churches that will explode sometimes overnight in size because it's attracting a group of people that would rather tell you what they want to hear instead of what they need to hear. Pastor, you believe we're walking in that right now? I do. I do. I believe this is firsthand some of the stuff that's beginning to go on right now. Now turn with me to the book of Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. And and a minute ago I highlighted that this is one of the greatest detailed chapter, Matthew 24 and 25, that the Lord Jesus talks about in times. And through the next five weeks, at least five weeks, maybe longer than that, we'll probably reference some of these. We begin in verse number three, and the subtitle above Matthew 24, verse three says, the signs of the time and the end of the age. Verse three. Now, as Jesus said on the Mount of Olives, and it's interesting that Zechariah prophesied that this was where the Messiah would stand thousands of years before he ever did it. Now, as Jesus said on the Mount of Olives, his disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age. And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. No one misleads you. Now again, the first thing that he responds to is let, don't let anyone mislead you or deceive you. Lead you into error. The, the Amplified says increase in deception. So literally something's going to begin to happen that tries to deceive us and lead us astray. You know what I believe is? I believe it will be people that will not teach the truth. They'll begin to talk about the fables and, and live however you want. We live under a grace. You can live any way you want. That's not what I see in the New Testament. Really, I believe in saying this. Every one of us in this room need to focus on the Word of God. I need to focus on Jesus in the Word. Jesus said in John 15, 7, He said, if you abide in me and my Word abide in you. The Word abide means to live, to remain day after day after day. 
And so I can't focus on people. And again, if there's any preacher, including this preacher, that says it's okay to do this or that, understand this, you want them to be able to give you scripture and verse for that, okay? That will keep me from being misled. And I will just throw this in here. If you don't come to this church, at least go to a church that preaches the word. I believe this is going to be a great falling away if we don't. And so this was the first thing he said. Now, I'm going to skip down a little bit further just for today. I will tell you in the upcoming weeks, we'll jump back into this in verse 5. But for time's sake today, jump with me to verse 11. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. There it is again. They will deceive many. They will mislead many. And because of lawlessness, because of wickedness, it will abound. The love of many will grow cold. The love of many Christians will begin to grow cold. Jesus himself said in John 14, 15, he said, If you love me, obey my commandments. So the way that I show Jesus I love him is I obey him. And so literally right here, he says, because Christians quit obeying him, the love of them begins to grow cold. And it's the result of false teaching. It's the result of of loose morals that release a destructive disease upon our society. Verse 13. But he who endures holds one's ground in conflict. He bears up against adversity. He holds out under pressure. He stands firm. He perseveres under pressure to the end, shall be saved. Now, when I read that right there, it lets me know that being a child of God is more than one trip to the altar and saying a prayer and saying, I receive Jesus as Lord of my life. If it was only about me confessing Jesus as Lord, it was one time and then being done, then why does he say we have to endure till the end? So he's given me insight right there. That it's to live day by day by day for the things of God. And he ends in verse 14. And this gospel, the truth, the word of the kingdom, will be preached in all the world as witness to all nations. Then the end will come. Now, the only thing I want to focus on, verse 14 right there, is the Word of God. There's some other things that I'll speak on in a couple weeks on that verse. But the key is, again, i got to live by the Word, okay? i got to live by the Word of God. Chapter 25 of Matthew. Verse 1. Now, what you're going to see here, guys, is this is symbolic of a wedding. And this is the wedding day, okay? Verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be like ten virgins. Now what do you think when you think of ten virgins? A pure heart. It's a pure heart, okay? How can people who have sinned get a pure heart? Because again, Romans 3.23, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The only way I get a pure heart is when I receive Jesus as Lord of my life, and he comes in and washes me and gives me a new heart. So literally here, this is talking about people that are born again. Okay? Keep reading. The kingdom of heaven shall be like ten virgins who took their lamps, 
who took their lamps. Now, I've got to get a hold of that. They took their lamps. Now, understand what he's telling me here. They took their lamps. Whose responsibility was it for the, the lamps? It was their lamps. So Jesus is letting me know immediately, there's a responsibility that falls on me. So he said, they took their lamps and they went out to meet the bridegroom, which was the Lord Jesus himself. Now again, Jesus is not into dating. Jesus is into being married. Because being married, it's 24-7. You never get away from it. So it's literally, I got to abide in the Lord. Now one thing I want to highlight here, all ten of these virgins, they looked alike on the outside. Verse 2. Now, five of them were wise, and five of them were foolish. 50%. One way or another. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. And so, 50% of them were prepared and 50% of them weren't. Verse 5. But while the bridegroom was delayed, the Lord Jesus, they all, every one of them, slumbered and slept. And at midnight, a cry was heard. Now, think about this right there. At midnight, a cry was heard. How many have ever been to a wedding that took place at midnight? So you know what he's telling us right here? It will happen when we least expect it. This is exactly what he's telling us. So really, if you read between the lines, he's saying, listen, you've got to live prepared. You've got to live ready. And so he said, at midnight, a cry was heard, and behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose, and they trimmed their lamps. Again, the responsibility of trimming their lamps, getting their lamps into order was each one's own specific job. And when you see here the trimming of the lamps, it's a picture of revival that will take place before the second coming. Verse 8. And the foolish said to the wise, Come give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. Now all through the New Testament, the oil was symbolic of the Holy Spirit. So literally, the foolish said to the wise, we need the Holy Spirit. The five that were wise were full of the Holy Spirit. The five that weren't wise didn't have any of the Holy Spirit. And so the wise were genuine. The foolish were false. Does does religion replace your reality? And what I mean by that It's very possible to look like a Christian, to act like a Christian, to talk like a Christian without really being a Christian. Verse 9. But the wise answered saying, no, least there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. Now understand this. When the wise wouldn't give them any, it wasn't because the wise weren't selfish. That's not why the wise wouldn't give them. You know why the wise couldn't give them any? 
Because salvation and the Holy Spirit are non-transferable from one human to another. I can't give Matt salvation and he can't give me the Holy Spirit. The only way that happens is for me to come to the Lord Jesus and say, Lord, just come into my heart. And according to, to Luke eleven thirteen, he says, if any of you ask of the Holy Spirit, he'll give him to whoever asked. So again, the reason here wasn't because they were selfish so. The reason, they couldn't. It was not permissible. And so when I look at this, not one of us in this room are going to be grandfathered into heaven just because your mother was a great saint. And not one of us in this room is going to get filled with the Holy Spirit without me asking. Ooh, pastor, that's good. Verse 10. And while they went to buy... The bridegroom came and those who were ready, those who were ready, those who were prepared, went with him to the wedding and the door was shut. And I highlight when the door was shut, that's exactly what happened in the days of Noah when the doors of the ark were shut. It was the last hurrah. It's over. It's over, okay? It's it, that's it. Verse 11. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord. They called out, Lord, 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 Lord. And Jesus gets over this in Matthew 7 oftentimes. That many will call me Lord. And he'll look and exactly according to Matthew 7, he says it here. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I said, I don't know you. But I confessed you as Lord. But I don't know you. You never took the time to have a relationship with me. And again, at Jesus' return, when that trumpet sounds and that shout, it's over. Things will not change again. And those ten virgins, they dressed like the bridesmaid. They acted like the bridesmaid. But now that it was over, their sinful, foolish character would be exposed. Verse 13. Watch therefore, give restriction to, be cautious, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Now here's what's interesting here to me. There was ten virgins. Five were foolish, five were wise. Jesus never threw out words to just be throwing out words. And Jesus never just threw out numbers randomly to give them numbers. There was always specific meaning behind it. So was Jesus telling me in this parable right here? Now hold on. 50% of the church won't make it. Woo! I wish we'd all been ready. Several other places in the scripture, you'll begin to see this same thought. And so when I look at all this, I begin to think about our churches, how they are right now, and literally in believer's life, how we have begun to resist the truth 
of the word of God. And we are literally seeing denominations and churches split over the word of God. We say this is okay, but what does the Bible say? We're seeing it first-handed. And again, I'm no better than any other person, but I will tell you this. I will not water down the word, and I won't sugarcoat it to appease to you, okay? Not going to do it. I don't want any of you looking at me on that day that horn sounds and says, you knew the truth, but you didn't tell us. And many times people will say, well, I want the truth. Well, can you handle the truth? The bottom line is we all better get to a place in our life where we can handle this right here, okay? Because this is my guideline, nothing else. A second area that I begin to see is there's a teaching going on in our society right now that says there is no hell, that everybody's going to go to heaven. That's false, okay? If that was the case, why did Jesus say the dead in Christ will rise with me? Why didn't he just say the dead? If there it was no hell or ever, nobody's going to go to hell, then why did Jesus have to die? Why did the, the apostles have to die? No, there is a heaven and a hell. Another area that gets my attention is there's a teaching going along that says there's other ways you can get to heaven. Not according to John 14, 6. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. The only way to the Father is through me. And you know what? If this offends you, bless you. Okay? I'm okay with this, guys. I'm going to give you scripture. That's why it's so important that you live by the word of God. And then the third area that's really troublesome to me is there's teaching going on that says the Bible is no longer relevant to the society we live in. But this book never changes. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. So we are seeing firsthand the great falling away. We're seeing it. Back to 2 Thessalonians where I told you we'd try to get to. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. So what do we do, Pastor? We live for the kingdom of God every day. And when I blow it, I repent with a heartfelt repent, repentance. I stay right with him. Lord, I, I don't want to sin. I don't willfully want to practice sin. So back to 2 Thessalonians 2. We pick back up at verse 5. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? This was the possible. He said, I told you. This is what's going to begin to take place. Verse 6. And now you know what is restraining or holding back that he may be revealed in his own time. What is that talking about? There's something that's going on right now that is restraining the Antichrist from coming on the scene. It's holding him back right now. What is it? Verse 7. For the mystery or the secret of lawlessness is already at work. Yeah, we're seeing crazy rebellion in our society. We're seeing lawlessness begin to take off. But keep reading here with me. Only... He who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. So the he that is restraining the Antichrist from coming, who is the he? 
John 16, verses 5 through 13, the Lord Jesus, on one occasion right after other, at least five times in that passage, that he is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that's restraining the Antichrist, okay? Right now. Think about this. When Jesus left the earth in John, Acts 1.8, he said, and actually Acts 1.4, he said, you got to be filled with the Spirit. And then 1 Acts, uh, 1 Acts verse 8, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power. Who was the Holy Spirit to give power to? Me and you. Who are we? We're the body of Christ. We're the church. So I personally believe the two areas that are holding back the Antichrist right now is number one, the Holy Spirit. John 16, verse 8, it said he sent his spirit into the world to convict the world to sin. So if the Holy Spirit wasn't here, there's no convicting of sin. And if there's no convicting of sin, people get crazy. If there's nothing restraining me as a human, you're talking about nuts. But think about this. What would our world look like without the church? Without the church here, there's nobody praying. There's no one preaching against sin. There's no one binding and loosening. There's no one speaking in the name of Jesus. So understand this. When the Holy Spirit is pulled out of here, this place is going to get ugly real, real quick. Can I tell you this right now? You don't want to be here when that happens. You want to be out of here. How's that going to look? One last, one last passage today. Look in the book of Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. Man, I, I know I am downloading a, a large dose of the Word of God on you today. That's why it's important you keep coming back through the weeks. We'll keep hitting different ones of these. Also, you can get, you can get CDs of this. It will be on our podcast. I believe this is that significant where we're at right now. Are you saying he's coming back tomorrow? I'm not saying that. I am saying he's coming back soon now. And if you look here in Luke 17, I'm going to begin in verse 26, and this is a graphic description of the end time rapture. Now watch this. Verse 26 of Luke 17. And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also like in the days of the Son of Man. So also will it be like on the second coming of Jesus. So how was it? They ate, they drank, they married wives. They were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. They were going to banquets, parties, and weddings. When Jesus comes back, life will be going on as usual. People will be doing their everyday tasks just like we had always been doing. But understand this, there will be no warning sign. There will be one sign. And I must be ready. I can't be totally absorbed with my everyday life as if we're going to be here permanently. Verse 27. Eight. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot. They ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, and they built. So he's telling me here again, it's going to be daily business as usual. Me and you are going to be eating. We're going to be drinking. We're going to be shopping. 
We're going to be selling. We're going to be going to work. And he didn't say that was wrong. But what he was saying is, this cannot become my entire focus. I have an eternal destination. Keep reading. But on that day, Lot went out of Sodom and it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so, will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed? So exactly or very similar to how it was in Noah's days and Lot's days, this is how it's going to be. Now, now here's, here's the comfort for you, okay? If I took you back to verse 27, nothing happened on the face of the earth until Noah was on the ship. So you know what that tells me? Noah got out of here. He was gone before all hell broke loose. And the same thing with Lot. If you read there in verse 29, it says that nothing could happen, the fire or the brimstone, until Lot was out of here. Oh, God, you should have shouted right there. That's good news for me and you. We're going to be out of here. We're going to be caught up in the clouds. How that's going to, I don't know. I was a pole vaulter. I loved heights. This is going to be incredible. Keep reading. Verse 31. In that day, he was on the housetop and his goods are in the house. Let him not come down to take them away. And likewise, the one who's in field, let him not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Why does it say that? Because she was so caught up with the things of the world that, that she couldn't let go of the world. It clung to her. Don't be so caught up with the things of this world. And so she looked back and she became a pillar of salt. And he goes on to say, now watch this. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you in that night there will be two people in one bed. One will be taken and the other will be left. 50%. Two women will be grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. 50%. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. And they answered and they said to him, Where, Lord? So he said to him, Wherever the body or the corpse is, there the eagles or the vultures will be gathered together. Now I'd look at that over and over again. I said, Lord, you've got to help me with this. Help me make this relevant to each one. Where we understand this, listen to some of these translations. I believe this will help you. The New Living says, just as the gathering of vultures shows there's a carcass or something dead nearby, so these signs indicate that the end is near. Proverbs say one vulture circling overhead doesn't mean much, but a gathering of vulture means that a carcass or death is nearby. So what he's telling me and you is if there's just one sign, that's not that big of a deal. But when there becomes sign after sign after sign after sign, you better get ready. I better get ready. And don't think any of us in this room can beat the system. We'll either be ready or we won't. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com